You're listening to the Super Talk podcast, produced by the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, shaping profit to member super. Hello and welcome to Super Talk. My name is Tyrell Mills and today we are taking a look at investment considerations in a low yield environment. To help us understand the lower for longer environment, we have multi-asset fund manager Sebastian Mullins from Schroeder's. Our discussion today takes us across a range of considerations from a possibly misplaced sense of optimism uh, by investors to broader macroeconomic impacts and trends on markets. Sebastian also provides what his expectations on market movements in the next one to two years are and how investors should be positioning themselves in relation to those expectations. So Sebastian, what what are kind of in investors' expectations at the moment? Well, it's kind of an interesting question because it's hard to really gauge. Um, I mean, depending on who you talk to, you get different answers. Um, but what we do here at Schroeder's is recently we actually did a sort of global investor survey. And what that is, is we pretty much ask, I think it's around 23,000 investors globally, so, you know, across something like 32 countries. And uh, around 1,000 of those are from Australia. And we kind of ask them, you know, what are your expectations through a whole sweep of different questions? But their main, the main sort of takeaway from that this year um, was their expectations for their total return going forward. Now, this was taken kind of in April during the COVID craze, so to speak. So maybe you expect them to be a bit more um, conservative, given what was going on. But even so, I mean, globally, they're expecting for the next five years to own almost 11% per annum forward-looking. Uh, in Australia, they're a bit more uh, realistic, quote-unquote, at around 9%, um, but, but still pretty high numbers if you think about, um, especially what yields are right now or how expensive certain equity markets are. So, you know, will, will that be the case going forward? Interestingly enough, if you think about today, September, well, end of September, those expectations have actually been the past five years realized returns. So in a way, that is exactly what has occurred over the past five years. Um, but I'd probably say, look, look forward, looking forward, sorry, um, the next five years is probably going to be a bit more challenging. So I'd probably say that's a bit more um, optimistic. And I guess another thing which is not really related to the question, but what was interesting is, when asked, did you make any portfolio changes during COVID? Um, 78% of they did. So during that market crash, over 78% of investors actually did change their portfolio. And more, I think 28% of that de-risked at the bottom, which is very unfortunate, and only 20% re-risked at that period. So in a way, you can see if you're playing around with your money too much, um, you, you can make sort of fatal mistakes, so to speak, in your investment horizon. So sometimes it's good to actually stay the course and have a proper investment plan in place. So we thought those were interesting um, points from that survey. Is the asset changes, is that perhaps what's driving optimism at the moment or is there something else that's that's sort of motivating that? In terms of optimism of their expected returns, I think people always are quite optimistic. <laughs> Generally speaking, they, they want I think most people respond to what they want to re receive, maybe more than what they expect to receive. So if you've, if you've had that over the past 10 years, we've had pretty much a large 10-year bull market since the GFC, then I guess your expectation gets sort of um, extrapolated forward. Um, whether or not that's applicable going forward is probably another question, which we might say is a bit optimistic given, you know, back in 2008, you could, you could get a bond that would pay you 6%, whereas now it's, you know, sub 2 so in a way, getting those kind of returns, at least from a balanced portfolio, would be quite challenging, I'd say. 
Do you want to just talk to me a little bit about the sort of uh, macroeconomic environment at the moment, particularly throughout this year? Kind of what what went right, what went wrong, I suppose. Well, it's, it's been an interesting period because it, it has really been a market for asset allocators, and it's it's been it's been an environment where if you did sort of tweak your portfolio during those volatile periods the wrong way, it could be quite detrimental. So you're kind of thinking, you know, what, what occurred during this COVID period? Well, we literally went in with a depression-like shock, which sounds, you know, like a bit of hyperbole, but really it was depression-like at the start. I mean, U.S. unemployment um, was around 15%, some were saying up to 2025. And if you think about the GFC, unemployment only got to around 10%. Um, during the Great Depression in the 30s, got to 25%. So really a high, high level of unemployment. And similarly, GDP fell in the U.S. by you know, quarter on quarter, uh, 31% in second quarter this year. Uh, GFC was only down eight. So you know these these numbers are huge, huge numbers. And if you think about global GDP, I mean the IMF were expecting um, GDP to fall around four and a, well 4.9% this year. And during the GFC, global GDP only fell 0.1%. So if you kind of think back then, it was a developed market crisis. Emerging markets continued. Um, going forward, but in this case, the entire world stops. So it's really a huge, huge shock. Um, but so that's obviously terrible. But I guess the good news is the response function from governments was astounding. You've had you know wartime-style budgets, huge budget deficits to really throw money at this problem and stop uh, sort of the sort of depression um, gaining a foot. So you know if you think about during the GFC, we talked about quantitative easing a lot. And you can think of how much quantitative easing or money the Federal uh, Federal Reserve bought of bonds from, say, 2008 to 2015. They spent around 3.5 trillion U.S. dollars buying bonds during QE. Uh, they did that in three. Well, they did three trillion in three months this year. So it took them, you know, what is that, seven eight years to do three and a half. They did it all in three months this time around. So a huge amount of um, monetary stimulus. Similarly, when you had fiscal stimulus, you saw, you know, in the U.S. at the start of it, I think they spent around $2 trillion in the GFC over about 600 days. They spent that in less than 100 days this time around. So a huge amount of money and very, very upfront, very quick into the environment. So that really stopped that bleed and really helped bounce the economy back up. So, you know, we're not out of the woods. Um, a normal recession is probably very likely, but at least we didn't get that super depression that was the case. I guess the problem there is that means yields have been reduced substantially and equities have rallied quite strongly off that sort of positive fiscal news. So like you say, I mean, uh, a pretty eye-opening year, some really big numbers that you'd sort of said there. And like you say, in such a short amount of time was the, the government spend. Do you think that connects perhaps with the investor optimism that you were discussing just before? Sure. Well, I think that's that's definitely, when you think about, at least on the equity side, if you think about the amount of support from central banks, I mean, they're not going to raise rates anytime soon. So having low rates means any any dollar of earnings received in the future pretty much gets discounted straight away to today. So money straight into your pocket. So equities have had quite a strong run, especially in the tech space like Google's, Amazon, et cetera, um, because you know, they don't have to spend much to expand their market share and with low rates, as a growth asset, they get paid quite handsomely. And this was kind of the environment for them to do well. We're all at home using our iPhones, watching Netflix, et cetera. So it was very good for equities on that side. 
And then the fiscal spend really helps people keep their jobs. And it kind of gives you two things. One, you know, labor force is the most expensive components of a business's costs. So if the government's sort of funding that, you're reducing your costs as a, as a business. And secondly, it means as a consumer, you're going to spend because you still have money coming in the door. So that kind of helped other sort of non-tech um, uh, businesses do well during this period, considering how bad it would be. So I think that's definitely been positive news. The problem is, though, is that's pushed equities up to be quite expensive. You know, if you look to, say, a price-to-earnings ratio, it's the most expensive it's been. It's sort of in the 90th percentile of where it's been since 95. So typically that's quite um, negative for future returns when things are that expensive. So if you think about, you know, using a 10-year return forecast with that kind of PE ratio, you're looking around 1% or 2% of the next 10 years. So nothing very attractive there. So I guess the negative side is the equities, they become very expensive because of what I've just mentioned. And I guess on the flip side, if you're thinking about where to invest in a yield perspective, with rates towards zero, um, you're getting paid nothing. There's no yield anymore. So you know, normally you hold fixed income for two reasons. One is to receive a yield. That's no longer occurring. And two is to offer protection from an equity shock. So if you're, if you're earning government bonds and equities sell off, typically those government bonds will do well as the yields fall. But if there's no yield cushion left, they probably won't support you as much. And if you think about it, you know, back in the day, you know, it seems, seems like a long time ago, but you could get, you know, seven to 8% on your cash back, you know, around pre-GFC. And if you think about that from a real perspective, so minus inflation, you had a positive real yield from investing even in cash. Whereas right now it's probably negative 1.5% after inflation. So while the support has been fantastic, it's helped the economy from falling off a cliff it's helped equities and bonds rally substantially. The question we're at now is, are equities too expensive to continue their rise? And where are you going to get your yield from going forward if, if all your yield assets are towards zero, especially on a real sense? So on that, what are your considerations around investing in the sort of lower for longer environment? Well, it becomes a bit more difficult, unfortunately. So if you think about, I guess, the, the number one way to invest over the past 10 or even 20 years has been like a balanced or barbell portfolio where you have most of your risk in equities and that kind of delivers you your return over time. And you have an allocation to say bonds that is there to give you yield, but also to protect you from the downside of equities. So over the past 20 years, that's performed very, very well. So as I mentioned before, if you think equities are probably coming under some pressure, um, I'm, I'm not saying they're gonna fall off a cliff and we're gonna go back to March or anything like that. But if, if the run's been quite strong already, um, potentially is less juice there and simultaneously you have less in the bonds to protect you. So rather than having sort of a barbelled portfolio, you probably have to have more of a flatter structure. And what that means is kind of finding alternative sources of yield or, you know, looking for things like high yield bonds or emerging market debts or even private debts, which I can get into later if you're interested. And that kind of allows you to reduce maybe your equity risk not have as much yield from your standard government bonds or investment grade credit, but having sort of this belly of higher risk, but higher yielding assets to sort of flatten out the structure. Because if you kind of think of, I mean, we do our own expected return forecasts and they're kind of over a three year period. And the idea there is, you know, we think most investors, while they say they invest for 10 years, they look for a you know, three year horizon, how things are changing and allows us to make asset allocation decisions. And if you look at those expected returns, 
right now, equities are probably offering you, say, global equities or U.S. equities, around a 5% return over the next three years, which is not fantastic. It's not terrible, but it's not great. Aussie equities, we think, are actually better off, and they're offering around 8 to 10% expected return going forward. So we do prefer Aussie equities to U.S. equities. But something like emerging market debt or high-yield debt is also offering you around 5% from our expected return forecast, at least. So you can have something that gives you a similar return to equities, but with lower risk. It's still risky, but lower risk than equities. So I'm not suggesting everyone gets rid of their term deposits and goes buys, you know, triple C junk bonds. But if you have to balance your risk out, you'd probably be a bit more um, flatter structure across equities, high yield and cash than you would be otherwise, say, pre-COVID. You've kind of touched on it a little in that answer there. But I suppose going forward, what are your expectations so expected, for, expected forward-looking returns, I think, have to come down. I mean, some of the expectations we said before of, you know, 10% globally, what people are expecting to receive going forward, that's probably optimistic. So I don't think the world's going to end and you're not going to get any return, but I think people are still projecting their prior experience the past 10 years. Um, that said, you know, when you talk about valuations, they're not a great timing tool. They usually work out over a longer period. So you do have sort of a cycle in between that. So we do think if there is volatility, you'll have chances to reallocate to risk. So I think you can't really just set and forget like you did in the past. You probably have to have a flatter structure, but also have a bit more dynamicism in how you allocate. So when you see bonds sell off or equity sell off, you know, making a large allocation either way to try and take advantage of those tactical swings. Um, you probably also have to look at new asset classes. So I kind of mentioned before things like private debt. Um, but, you know, if you're getting something, you know, sub 2% on your investment grade credits, or you can get something like private debt, which is offering you 6 to 8%, then that's a pretty good allocation to have, you know, not without its risk and not without liquidity risk, um, but it's another asset class to try and, you know, look under the surface to try and find some more yield. And then one of the things I mentioned before is sovereign bonds probably don't offer as much protection these days as they did in the past. So trying to find other ways to hedge is going to become another important issue. So we think things like using currencies, say, so if you're an Australian dollar investor, having an allocation to say US dollars or Japanese yen, those currencies tend to do better than Australian dollars when you know, equity markets fall and there's a risk off environment. So we're probably tilting our portfolio at least more to having some of those sort of currency hedges in place as opposed to fully relying on government bonds given how low those yields are. So just to finish up, uh, it'd be good to get your thoughts on how how investors should be positioning themselves based on, I suppose, your expectations. Uh, But you did mention something in there that I'll kind of throw into this mix as well. And that's the kind of, I suppose, not quite your words, but the comfort of the last 10 years that we've had uh, that investors are somewhat used to. Uh, Is that going to play a big part in kind of as we move out of this year and do... I mean, should investors be working as hard as they can to shed themselves of those, that kind of the comfort that we've had? Well, it's, it's interesting because I think we're, we're approaching a point where we could have a large regime shift. And a lot of people are asking, you know, what has what the past 20 years been really? It's been a disinflationary environment where, you know, we haven't had deflation, but prices have risen more slowly than they have in the past. And that's kind of a Goldilocks scenario for every asset class. Now, with what's happened with COVID, there are two schools of thought. One is either we have a deflationary shock, 
because there's so much debt in the system now. There's so many zombie companies, et cetera, that is just weighing us down. So we're going to have deflation, in which case holding things like bonds is still a pretty good idea. But another thought is they're spending so much money now and they're actually giving fiscal hands out to, you know, into the pockets of, of consumers. They can then go and spend that money, which wasn't the case, say, during the GFC. So that could actually cause inflation, which we haven't seen in a very, very long time. So if that were to occur, I mean, two questions is, you know, what kind of inflation? Is it runaway inflation or just sort of stagflation? Or do we have that sort of deflationary shock? Right now, I could not tell you. I, I don't know. <laughs> we're doing a lot of work to figure that out. And you get some indications from oil price. You get some indications with labor slack, et cetera. Um, but those are kind of the three scenarios that could unfold over the next five to 10 years. And investors will have to position accordingly. Now, they don't have to do that today. Um, you know, often, as we saw, as I mentioned at the start, you know, 78% of investors reject their portfolios at the worst possible time. I'm not saying they should do that today. I mean, a lot of people are worried about the U.S. election, but we think that might just be noise and it might be a longer-term buying opportunity because regardless who wins, Biden or Trump, you're probably going to get some kind of fiscal stimulus. It just depends from who and to where. Um, but either way, I think any government globally right now is doing everything in their power to stimulate the economy. So you could still get a bull run for a while, um, but that sort of buy and forget for the next decade and say a balanced fund, I think is probably going to be um, stress tested over the next, say, couple of years. So I think for now, just stick to an investment plan, you know, talk to your financial advisor or stick with your investment fund. Um, but having those ideas in the back of your mind is what kind of regime shift might occur in the next couple of years will be paramount to the next 10 years. So don't necessarily, you know, we always say past performance is not indicative of future performance. There's a reason for that. So I think having those expected returns based on your past is probably coming to, a, to an end around now. That's all for this edition of the Super Talk podcast. A big thank you to Sebastian Mullins for his time and insights and to all at Schroeder's for their assistance in bringing this episode together. Until next time, bye for now.